Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Suddenly you've gone Bissouma, Enzo Fernandez. You've now picked between, say, Gibbs White, Brennan Johnson and Adair. And you've got Rashford. There's only one left. The Fantasy Football Show. Hello everybody, my name's James, welcome to Planet Sky FF, the world where everything revolves around £50,000. How did I do, Suj? Suj is on holiday and I'm delighted to say we've got a very good guest with me who tends to get on the Sky Fantasy podcast at least once a season. It's our good friend Luke Williams, how are you Luke? I'm very good mate, yeah, I've been, been away on holiday in Turkey and we just established before we started that I've I went to the same place that Suji is now at. Well, not not we, directly the same hotel. We I think, think well, so. Maybe, but maybe <laughs> certainly the same area. So yeah, I don't know if Suji could afford what you went for, mate. Oh, yeah, of course. Glossing <laughs> <laughs> over here, aren't I? Um, <laughs> Luke, for the people who are perhaps new to Sky Fantasy and not familiar with yourselves, who are you, mate? Uh, my yeah, my name's Luke. Uh, have been known as disabled in the community uh, in the past. That's a gamer name. Uh, I've got rid of that <laughs> these days. Is it um, gone? Do we, are we not calling you that anymore? I mean, you can call me. I don't mind. I like it still, but I'm like 40-something years old. I don't think I should be getting around <laughs> calling myself disabled, um, to be honest. But yeah, uh, Luke, I used to work for Fantasy Football Scout back in the day. Um, probably in and amongst it when, well, actually pretty sure I was in and amongst the first sort of Sky content that was out there um, when the game was very much brand new. I've uh, been playing it ever since, really. So yeah, um play it alongside FPL they're the only two games I really play um and obviously really really enjoy the game and try to do as best well as I can every every season um attention's gone down a little bit I would say from the earlier days when you got all the time in the world but I think with a lot of experience you kind of learn to play this game I won't say with your eye um, hands behind your back but you, you get used to the kind of things that you need to do in Sky right and we just kind of rinse repeat each season so yeah looking forward to it you uh well yeah, this is my favourite game. I know the FPL listeners mm. don't want to hear that, but I've said that before. And I, do you feel the same? Oh, absolutely! It's the fantasy football manager's uh, game of choice. I would say it's. Um, I think more and more as you realise and get more experienced or more open to the fact that luck plays a huge uh, part in fantasy football, um, at, or just football in general. It's just such a high variant sport, and I don't think there is a game like this where your skill can sort of counteract that luck to a level where. Um, yeah, to be honest, you could have pretty bad luck and still do pretty well. It kind of rewards time, effort, skill, however we want to frame that word. Amount of, um, yeah, basically amount of time and effort you put into the game. It usually correlates quite well with your overall rank. Not always, because like I say, there is a large amount of luck, but definitely more so than a game like FPL, where I think you could play an absolute blinder and finish maybe in the top million and, and you know feel a little bit hard done by. With Sky, I think if you've played well, generally you will finish in that top thousand and possibly even the top hundred if you've, if you've really smashed it well i didn't play well last year then uh how did you <laughs> how did you finish last year luke um i finished 153rd i think it was um which you know for me is like it's fine it's absolutely fine i always try to aim for the top 100 i think it's getting harder and harder to do that it is. um but yeah 153rd more than happy with, with that so yeah not too bad yeah, I think what I've learned, even over the, the sort of four years or so that we've done Sky, obviously, yes, it's getting harder as of all fantasy football formats because it's become more popular. There's more mm-hmm. knowledge. There's more expertise out there in terms of sharing people, covering the content, etc. That's still a good finish, though. 150-ish, mate, I think. 
yeah, like I say, I was, I was more than happy with it. Um, I, and I think I'll go back to say, in terms of the top 100-ish or, or even around there, even top 250, you know, you can play almost as well as people in probably the top 20, to be honest, and then you just need that little bit of extra of luck, you know, that right captain, maybe you get um, a hard run of injuries, um, you know, which can affect your game. So, yeah, that's all you can really hope for, and it's try and play as consistently well as you can. It's quite interesting, though, because with Sky, obviously it doesn't keep your rank like FPL does. It doesn't have a history, yeah. so you don't have to kind of play in that way where you're you're thinking about it. You can go for broke, you know, for... For many of us, um, we're trying to win the money, really. That's the reason why we're playing. Well, we obviously enjoy the game, but we'd like to win the money and it is potentially achievable. So I think this game lends itself more to, okay, I could have finished maybe 70 if I was playing more safe, but towards the end, there's no point doing that. I want to try and go as high as I can. And as a result, usually you'll do worse because you're picking worse options, <laughs> Let, let's be honest. It's true. And, hope, and hoping they do well. Uh, so yeah, just that that's I quite like about the game. It's almost a free run. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done in the past. Uh, every season is is bang, you go again, um, and you you've got a chance of winning the money. Yeah, we're all starting a level playing field. Both of us have got a chance of finishing first. You, the listeners, got a chance of finishing first. Whether you're you're a new player, whether you're an experienced player, that's the the biggest pull of all, I think, of this game. What would you say, Luke? You've learned in terms of mistakes over the years in Sky. Is there is there common mistakes that you see people make, or you feel that you've made? yourself when playing definitely I think um I think we could go over a lot of mistakes that are mistakes in every fantasy game and I don't really want to get too much into those because you know these are basic stuff like picking nailed on players you know being inflexible like all of these things I think you can apply to nearly every fantasy game but particularly with particularly with Sky I would say because the um because the price points are fixed because uh the positions are interchangeable um you have to kind of have a, I would say, almost a plan and a plan and a plan in the back of your mind about what you're going to do if you are going to pick a certain player. So how do I word that better? Um, let's say you pick a cheap enabler, because in this game, unlike FPL, you can't pick 11 world superstars in your team. You're probably going to have to find some cheaper players to fit, fit around the edge. Uh, you're going to have to be pretty damn sure, I think, that that player is a, is a good option. Um, and have some, you know, a reason for why that what that might be that's outside of just a hunch. And then I would say that on top of that, you probably need um, somewhere to go if if you're just wrong or you've picked the wrong person. Because if you start using your whole budget and structure your whole team around it, um, and then that player is not the player you thought it would be, um, you're in a bit of a trouble. Because ultimately, this game is about your transfer management. That is the whole game. Like the, you get those fifty transfers that last the whole season. Yes, you get that one overhaul. But the player who wins the game outside of luck, because yes, I just mentioned is, is the person who has managed their transfers the best across the season. So I think if you can minimise the amount of transfers you have to spend on silly things like mistakes, restructuring, the more opportunity you've got to actually use them tactically, right? We know about the three for one fixtures or whatever it is, or maybe you swap Harland out for Kane for a couple of captains and back again. I think that's more likely to to gain you big points than it is you know, changing one enabler for another because you got an error at the beginning of the season. So I think we kind of know that, but it's like um, it's it's underrated how important it is to, to use those transfers where they're needed. I think if you look at Paul, who won the game last season, you know, he's, he's an expert at this sort of thing. Um, and if you probably asked him, yes, he would have had some transfers that were bad luck throughout the season, like anyone will have had. But generally, he probably managed his transfers pretty damn well if you look back across his season and had a nice spread across the whole season. He used he gained those extra fixtures. You just use them really well. So it's, um, it's yeah, planning how to use your transfers, I think, is probably the best. And obviously being flexible allows you to adjust if necessary. Yeah, in a weird way, take the FPL examples, perhaps some of the new players, you might think, well, Haaland's staying there and he's not moving. Mm. There are occasions here where it's okay to lose a game if you're getting, you know, four games of Harry Kane instead or four games of Mo Salah instead to make that jump rather than moving from... Paulinia to check the Corey to Amadou Anana and making those sort of those are the ones we're talking about. I think you want to mm. get that one right. Like say Paulinia was the player for a lot of people, 6.6 in midfield last year. If you can identify that quickly, and uh, there's nothing to say you have to get it right in day one. But mm. that decision at the start is almost more important than Kane versus Salah as an example, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Um I mean these these things you can start unraveling them and then and then I'd add that another another point there is about the small samples thing. You can you can think that 
um, you found that player very quickly. I think there was maybe some false dawns you can even look at last season where a player will look very good in the first two or three fixtures. Maybe a, a cheap enabler is churning out good bonus in the first three games. Nico Williams is a good example from last year, I think. Yeah, so, something like that. There's been many over the seasons. I think Kamara from Aston Villa, although I actually think he's a, he was a pretty good one. We just got unlucky with injuries. But yeah. um, I think Casado, uh, who ended up looking good, then was bad, then was good. The point is here, if you... If you if you just think, right, this is our, my person and I'm going to adjust and I'm going to move to that straight away, um, you could end up getting that wrong. So it's just to be wary of like not using these two, three, four game samples from the beginning of the Premier League. First of all, we will know the teams are working out how they're going to play. You know, potentially that player is doing really well in that world, but the team's not performing too well and if they're going to adjust something um, that may change that. You know, I think you need to look at that player's history as well. Um, you know, if they haven't got a, a decent history of actually being very good at passing or very good at tackling, the chances of that staying a are quite slim unless it's a very, very obvious tactical shift or something. So it's just being wary not to react too quickly, restructure only to find yourself in a problem. Um, I think that's quite key as well. Yeah, and of course, look, transfer window closes, what, September the 1st, which is the weekend of match week four. So everyone, bar a couple of teams, we now know, uh, play at least three times over that period. So if you're thinking, shit, I've got the decision wrong week one, mm. you know, you might want to give your point and recognise your exit point, right? When's a good time to, to leave this player? And give yourself a couple of different options. You can make decision when that's important and comes around. With that in mind, obviously, until last year, we'd always had a really early overhaul, Luke. So I, I guess under that circumstance, historically, if we'd have picked the wrong seven million midfielder as an example, we'd have always left it for those four weeks. Then you've got four weeks of data to then make the right decision, hopefully. That's not the case now. So, I mean, would you have a set point in mind to think how many games I'd want to leave a decision on a player like that? It's really tough, isn't it? Because even five, six, seven, eight games might not be enough. Obviously, yeah. fixtures are massively going to impact as well how that player is performing. You know, if Brighton have got like some really good games to start, maybe they're passing. They're probably a poor example because I think Dunk will just absolutely churn out passes regardless. But there's other players in that team that might be getting passing. And then obviously after those less easy games or slight adjustments, maybe they're not. So I think it's just an individual situation. You've, you've got to take the information that you've got. I would try to stretch it out as much as you possibly can it, you know, like, like I mentioned before, sort of swapping and using a transfer to then get it wrong and then have to use another one or another one, you're suddenly throwing them away. So to, to almost limit that, I would say it's doing that research before the game start, basing it a lot on that player's history, what we already kind of know. And then, yeah, making sure you've got that backup option for that player if it goes wrong and you need to. But um, yeah, just focusing on a player that's going to start, for example, is really, really important. Um, Way more important I, than this game, yeah. Yeah, you've got no bench, have you? So. There's lots of players, for example, I think, I think we're going to look at some of them in a minute that potentially, you know, if they're going to play all the games, they could they could break the game, like, which is always the case in Sky because it's a static game and they can get stuff wrong and season surprises. There's someone like, I'll just throw his name out there, Colwell from, from Chelsea. Yeah, I, I don't, Yeah, that's a ridiculous price for a player if he was going to be nailed on. Now, I don't think he is, but we're a long way from the season. We don't know. Um so you could have two mindsets here. You could say, okay, I'm going to start with that 7.5 Colwell because I think he's going to break the game. He's going to be ridiculous. Let's restructure my whole team around that. And then that can go either way. You're opening yourself up to risk straight away there by doing that. I think probably the more sensible idea is not to have him from the start. Obviously, we're a long way away from the Premier League starting, right? If things change and it looks like he is, then maybe. You probably would want to pick someone who's a lot more secure and then yeah. after a while move down to that person if you need it rather than the other way around. I think that's yeah. probably the better way to, to what, play One of the things I discussed last week was if you're thinking of having a Chelsea defender at the moment, at least you've basically got the four in there. You've got Colwell, Badia Shil, Fofano and Thiago Silva. Start with at least one of the top two in the pricing and ensure if it becomes clear, drop it down before the start of the season or even during the season obviously you could potentially make that sort of sideways move um but if you start with Colwell at 7.5 and he's not in the team ah probably biggest mistake of all I made last year was William Saliba was 7.4 and they obviously played first night at Palace and we just wasn't sure if it was gonna if it was gonna stick or not and it meant I went without him for ages because I didn't make the decision at the start in game one um there's also the possibility to pick up potentially some Manchester City players because we'll see their team in a very similar circumstance this year. But yeah, that's a great example where then if Colwell's not in the team at 7.5, what's your choices? Whatever other defender you get is probably going to be inferior. Similar for a midfielder, potentially, unless something has 
has really come to the fore. But you're you're wasting games right at the start if you get that wrong. It's just not worth the gamble unless we feel extremely confident that he's going to play. Yeah, and that's what I mean about um, it's not just that one transfer. You just touched on it there. If there is no one else that's really viable at that that place, you don't want to be forced to pick someone who's subpar. So you you probably make two transfers. You suddenly make three transfers. And it might not feel that that impactive at the beginning of the season. It's hard to judge, right? Only a few weeks into it, maybe seven, eight weeks. And yeah, I'll restructure my team. That's great. But you're already two or three transfers down probably on someone who's not taking that risk. So I just don't think it's personally worth it right at the very start of the season. I think get a little bit of more information. There is always an alternative. And then you can move down to him later if it looks like he's going to be nailed. Or, you know, it doesn't have to be cold. Or there's a number of players we could put in that bracket. Yeah. I just think having... People underestimate, and I think even at the very top level of this game, um, players playing consistently, especially in FPL, uh, in Sky rather than FPL, and picking up those points that are unfashionable, appearance points and passing bonus in particular, which I'm sure we'll get onto, um, are almost gimme, gimme points that just massively add up across the season. Um, so yeah, those are those are really important things. Yeah, I, I guess like a, a probably higher level example would it be perhaps like the group of Liverpool attackers at the moment, say like Nunes, Gakpo. Jota, at the moment, we'd have to rule all of them out, wouldn't we? Oh, I personally would. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I wouldn't be having any of them in Sky. I mean, this can lead to you feeling like, um, and it does happen where we don't pick kind of FPL-y players, I, I want to call them, like your players who are really attacking, they don't really hit tiers too often unless they get shots, probably. They do score quite a lot of goals and assists, but they often are quite expensive. There, there will always be a few handful of those, usually most seen that will do very, very well. And the negative side for us as, as hardened sky managers will tend to ignore those players a little bit more than other people. They can come back to hurt you, but they're quite rare. They're not that often. And we often, like I say last season, Martinelli might fit that role. A lot of us probably wouldn't have picked him. He's extremely cheap, uh, at least at the start. Um, but he didn't really seem like a sky player, not necessarily nailed. Minutes could be managed. No, no, no penalties. No, um, we did have a few set pieces to be fair. Um, but he, he would really rely on his points coming from goals. I would say, it just so happened that he was pretty damn good at it and ended up being good value. And we we adjust as it goes along. But I think most Sky managers would have avoided, avoided a Martinelli at the beginning. And I think yeah. in general, that is good advice. We just remember the ones that have killed us more than anything. He I think kind of he, I want to say he was eight last year. He was eight or 8.1. I yeah. think so. Um, and I I largely ignored him nearly all season, I think, like, yeah, to be same. honest. And yeah, if he was eight million now, he'd be in the team, I think. Uh, absolutely, yeah. So... Okay. Completely agree. So these things can go either way. And it's not like a we, we do get fascinated with the bonus points and then as a result, ignore those guys. But I think as a general rule, um, focusing on players that can get points from a number of different angles is probably the, the play in most scenarios. Um, so you so yeah. wouldn't you would still put quite a heavy emphasis on tier points then versus someone like a Martinelli is a good example. Perhaps Phil mm. Foden's a, maybe a better example at the moment because he's cheaper and we'll get to see that first Man City team. Would you still put, maybe Foden versus Rodri is quite a good example here where obviously in FPL there's only one decision to be made. Mm. In Sky, we know Rodri basically starts on five points nearly every game. Where do you where do you put your weight there and what type of profile or player would you want more out of, say, those two? Well, for me, there's only one answer in Sky there, and that's Rodri, clearly. I, I, I'm Foden's biggest fan. I think this season he could have a monster season. I think that most seasons do fair, but I think everyone sees how good of a player is, and it, it could happen at any point. He could have that Martinelli season or go better. But before a ball is kicked, it's Rodri by an absolute country mile because he'll start every game and he'll get five points as a minimum pretty much every game. Um, you know, that there's, a, there's an easy sort of way to look at this thing that, that kind of opens it up to you, I think. If you look at, say, let's take, for example, um, Pedro Porro, who in the game is 7.8 million, um, which looks like a great price. And I actually think he's probably a pretty good pick overall. I just watch Tottenham try and defend, mate. <laughs> <laughs> let's ignore clean sheets. Let's ignore everything else in the game apart from goals, right? If we put Pedro Porro on the, let's face it, completely unachievable target of scoring a goal every three weeks... Right, let's just say he was that good that he scores a goal every three weeks. So it's seven points for a goal, isn't it, for a defender? Yep. So every three weeks he gets seven points. Now I take you to someone like Lewis Dunk, who gets tier two bonus every game, I would say, which is an extra three points. Sometimes maybe he might not get the the tier two, but it's quite rare, tier one, which is an extra two points. Now over those three games, he's already beat the guy who scored every three games. And now, Brian reality, probably will keep a clean sheet roughly every three games or so. Exactly. We'll even forget that. I'm just saying, even on the bonus alone for Dunk, 
He's already beaten Porro if he scores every three weeks. Now, he's not scoring every three weeks. There's not many attackers in world football that can guarantee a goal every three weeks. You know, it's probably more likely if he's had a really good season, one in 10, one in nine, one in eight. How many points is Dunk beating him on bonus alone in that period? I know there's other factors involved here, but I think the bonus is still still quite underlooked by a lot of players. Um, and it's in- incredibly safe, right? It's incredibly safe. We can predict that, that Dunk will, will get tier two or passing in nearly every game he plays. Um, yeah, so I think I think we really should be focusing on it and reminding ourselves of that. Is he, uh, is he a certainty for you, Lewis Dunk? Oh, he is there, 100%. He should be in every person's team. Like Normally I won't say, you know, you have to pick this player, he's nailed, do whatever, but um, it's a complete no-brainer. If Dunk ends up being a poor option this season, it's, it's pretty much down to bad luck, I would say, injuries or anything else. I don't see how, when you've got something that consistent, Deserby's not going to change the way they play, I wouldn't have thought. You know, even if they're losing games, he's going to be in the positive. Even if they're getting battered by three goals, he's still going to pick up points um, because of that passing. So Dunk is the biggest no-brainer you will see in this game. Is uh, the Norwegian up front, is that similar? Oh, what do you think? Well, yes. I, I said <laughs> I said last week, nine-player game. Yeah, you're probably is, right. Is that how you see it? Yeah, that's the other thing. I think with, with FPL, actually, they do it better, but not that I want to get onto their pricing, but they are better at broadening the range between players because they're working with this 0.5 system, I guess, where everything's 0.5 rather than you know, 8.3 or whatever. And they, they have a bigger range than us, whereas the, the bracket squeezing in Sky and the way it works is not they're not particularly good at that. Like I get involved in some of the pricing stuff on this, and it's a battle for me every every year. You'll see this year that Harlan and Kane are more expensive than any other striker by quite a way. I've been pushing for that and to get it even more every every season that it happens because I just think You didn't push Lewis Dunk though, did you? <laughs> I'm not involved in that one. I want to put that right <laughs> out there. Um yeah, I just think that, you know, if you've got Haaland at 12 and then you look down the list and in prior seasons, you see like, I don't know, Gabby Jesus at 11.2, 0.8 million. What's the point? Yeah, yeah, it, it just kills every other option in the game. So, yeah, Haaland is a complete no-brainer. I mean, based off of last season alone, I think you just you, you put him in, right? I mean, Maybe like, it's like worth said, saying in, in Sky, what are we, between Haaland at 12 and what's the cheapest player in the game? Do you know, like 5.8 or something? Oh, it's, like, it's like 6.2 difference. Whereas the difference in FPL is 10 million. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Two. So the huge disparities of difference in terms of, of the the condensing. Um, I mean, FPL is possibly also going to feel like maybe like an eight or nine player game, depending on how one or two players do at the start of the season, in, in fairness. Anyone else for you that's uh, an absolute 100% for you at this stage? Sorry, just to go back on that, six point five million is the cheapest I can find in the can find in the game. So yeah. he's not he's not even double the cheapest person in the game. There's got to be a cheap keepers, a cheapest keepers six million. So okay, oh, six, six million difference. Oh, apart from keepers, yeah, okay. Um, anyone else who's a complete no brainer? Um, no, I, I would say I would say Duncan Harland are probably the absolute no brainers for me. I've got players that I think I would consider like I definitely want them, but I wouldn't say you absolutely have to have them. No, I, I, unless you can think of anyone that, that's in yours. I mean, I personally really want Trent, and I could go into why why that is. But um, yeah, I think those are probably the two standouts. Yeah, no, I think everybody else is is quite open, but I, I've got to follow up on that point there, mate. Trent, why? Um, <laughs> I guess that example I just gave you of the passing bonus with between Duncan Porro, well, Trent is basically both of them. He may not score every three weeks. I doubt that will happen. Uh, let's say he scores five goals. I mean, I'm going to rely on you for maths because I've just thought of this now. So I'm going to fire it over to you. So five oh. times seven, what's that? 35. Five. Yeah. It's a good job my wife's not doing this. <laughs> let's say he gets 10 assists. 30, 65. Okay, let's say he gets what fifteen clean sheets. If we're saying them around that amount, fifteen sevens, what one hundred and five? So what we on one seventy? You're including that appearance points. Okay, let's say he plays the games as well, and then let's say that uh, the new version of Trent, which we can see in that pivot role, is he's now added tier two bonus as pretty much a guarantee. That was always his negative in the past that he didn't always get that or not particularly often at right back. If he plays in that pivot role, he's hitting the tier two and tier one. Um, that's going to be harder to calculate, but I don't know, let's say he gets um, tier three in 28 of the 38 games or something like that. 
yeah i'll I, I tell you what I'll, I'll throw a question i was going to hold back to the end but actually i'll i'll find it and i'll throw it in now i, I want to say it was from uh our friend alter reclose who was asking about uh no it wasn't it was it was chris stone our west ham correspondent said see now allison outscores many of the liverpool defense most seasons and he's obviously cheaper do you think he's a better pick than Liverpool defenders? Because Allison, what two fifteen points last year? Yeah, you know, poor points. Liverpool for their standards. So he's capable of more, isn't he? Uh, that's all, for me. That's almost a separate for me. It's not either or. I think Allison is an absolutely fantastic goalkeeper pick. In fact, I'd say every season since he's been in the Premier League, he'll be either top or very, very close. Um, and that's because of the extra two points you get for your clean sheets, right? More than anything else. And that overall, the goalkeepers are just far too cheap. They're not just like, if you look at value every season, um, they're top for value by miles. But also just in total points, they are right up there every season. Um, so I don't look at it as an either or. I think that having Allison is an in- in- incredibly sensible idea. Yes, as always, there will be one or two slightly cheaper goalkeepers that might get close to him or even match him. But it's very hard to pick out who. And that because of that bracket squeezing we talked about, they're probably only like 0.7 less than him or something, or 0.8 or something yeah. around the seven mark. So actually spending your money on an Allison is actually really quite sensible, I think. And it it should be there's other uses there where I could go into captains, right? Sometimes a lot of teams don't have an obvious player that you'd want to pick for a single match day as a captain. An extremely reliable one is the goalkeeper of that team, as we've come to know. If they get that clean sheet, they get those so, two extra. I mean, listen, we can we can make transfers across the season, but let's say let's say Alisson got two hundred points. It's probably the lower end of expectation for that extra two million. What in your mind would Trent need to get to? Is it like an extra twenty five points? Is it it's, is it more? But it's hard to compare the two positions because you can't interchange them, right? You have to pick a goalkeeper. Whereas, sure, and, and you have to pick defenders, so there are. So it's really comparing him to other defenders. I don't see it as just covering Liverpool. We're looking at total points here. Is irrelevant what team they play for, unless you're looking at a captain. You're only. Well, I was going to say it's not irrelevant if you decide to go without Mo Salah, right? Because then maybe that is your choice. I suppose so. Um, I, I personally either want both, or um, for me, as I mentioned, I think Trent is just the best option, probably probably in the game outside of those at the moment, assuming he's going to get that passing bonus and play in that role again. I don't think we've seen the best of Trent. We've been kind of robbed of it numerous seasons for various reasons, right? Either he's got injured or Liverpool have just been catastrophically bad for almost unexplainable reasons. You know, the defence completely dropped off a cliff. I think all in all, if we have him playing a large amount of games, especially in a more attacking role, where crucially he's picking up that passing bonus, we have seen in the past where the, the top defenders in the game, not even the top defenders, the top scorers in this game, as you know, uh, for many of these years have actually been Laporte Diaz, Van Dijk, they have not only been really high scorers, they've been the top scorers in seasons where we've had Mo Salah throughout this time and other people, or at least extremely close to him. So now we've got like essentially Van Dijk or Diaz, but we've got maybe four the or five goals, maybe 10 to go assists. Yeah, and he's only 10 million. So he's cheaper than those attackers as well. So, so I, I would actually throw it back and say Salah is an absolutely fantastic pick. But to be honest, if you were to choose between Salah and Trent, um, I think there's a, there's a case for to actually go in Trent instead of him. And saving one point five million. Would you um, consider going with neither? Is there a circumstance um, here where you could consider going with no Liverpool? So them and Tottenham are basically the two teams we've we've kind of had a discussion and said there is no need as such. There's a case to say you want one or the other for the first Sunday. Um, but if you choose Kane over Salah, then maybe there's no Liverpool requirement as an example. Yeah, if they don't fit into your captain plan and it's the same argument with FPL, I guess, isn't it? If you're not going to captain a player and they're a huge amount of money, are they value? I think in his case, he probably still is, to be honest with you. Um, however, you don't have to have them. And that's why I only pick the two players. You don't have to have them. I think you have a view or, or need to have that flexibility that you probably would have to get them for a certain period. But like anything, if you can identify a six, seven game window or whatever it might be, where another player is going to score more points in tandem with that captain's arm band, then I haven't got a problem with leaving them out. That's that that is what the game is. That's exactly what you're describing there. Like you are gonna to have to make sacrifices this season compared to more, I would say. I haven't been able to make a team personally with, for example, Kane Harland, Salah, Rashford, Trent, Alexander Arnold. Like those are probably some of the most important players, I would say, at the beginning. You can't fit all of them in. Yeah. Well, I certainly haven't been able to this do was it. the big thing I was calling it, it, it can't that can't be the circumstances, exactly what we said when Paul and Fergie come on at the end of the season. So I'm really pleased about that. Yeah, so you're going to have to make a sacrifice. No one's going to sit here and go, 
oh Salah's not going to score well. Of course, exactly. Salah's going to score well. He's going to score fantastically. It's um, it's not. And again, it's then not just him versus Trent. It's what you're doing with that extra money and the other player you're getting in place and the knock-on effects and yada yada yada. Combining with the cap, this is why the game gets quite complicated. And the very best players usually do. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, to well. to give you a comparison, you're 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 looking at it at a circumstance almost saying, you know. To, to put it, to equate it for you, let's say Duncan Trent, let's say that's the way you decide to go, and I realise I'm not going to do a defender comparison here, but say Trent and Dunk would be like Salah and Norgard, something like that, roughly. So, you know, which combination do you want out of that? Yeah, and then and then if we go back and say, well, I do think Trent is capable of getting, I mean, how many points did Salah get? I think it was 250. Yeah, 247 he got last season. Trent got 185. So he, he was only, what, what's that, 60, 70 points less than him? Bear in mind, for half the season, he was pretty much useless as well. I think, therefore, when you start putting that captain's armband and think that he's probably going to improve on that as long as he can stay on the pitch, um, you could argue in terms of age profile as well, maybe Trent's more on the up, Salah potentially more on the down. I mean, I don't really see any signs of that, but I think you could you could argue it maybe. That might get closer, is what I'm saying. And suddenly then that's that little almost not really a sacrifice of choosing Trent over Salah um can be made up vastly, like as you just said, depending on the, the other player that you've picked instead. Like a dunk is obviously going to outscore Norgard by a, a huge amount. So these things always come in in tandem. They're not just one-off decisions, I would say. Salah versus Kane, if you're given that thought. Um, they're obviously different positions in Sky, aren't they? Midfielder and striker. Um and they are they are in FPL as well, so I don't know why I said that. But they have been in the they have <laughs> no, been in the... for a long time for the newer listeners. The players like Salah were always until last yeah. season forwards. Yeah, that's what I mean by that. So sometimes Salah has been has been both over the years, um, which maybe has an impact then as to which, which way you want to go. I, I think Salah because of the fixtures is probably better, but then I think there's quite a lot of midfielders that do a job of covering the fixtures and, the, and other better options. So actually, I would say. Structure-wise, having maybe a Trent and a Kane, if you even want a Kane, I don't think he's a necessary necessity. I should say, um, it's probably a little bit better. And that's probably the route I'd look at at the moment, but things can change. I, mean, I wouldn't say that's set in stone. A, a lot of that has to do with, um, I would say, certain teams that we have to probably have to cover. Like who, who's going to be your Man United pick of choice, for example? Rashford. I think, right. So that's one midfielder gone. I think you could make a case for say Luke Shaw or something, but I think Rashford's clear personally. So I'd have Rashford. Chelsea option? I mean, the most consistent and easiest one to pick right now is Enzo, isn't it? Precisely. As we had that conversation at the beginning, I think Colwell could end up being the best, but I don't know he's going to play. So Enzo Fernandez is very easily the the safe risk-averse option. So that's another midfield option. Gone. We probably or maybe need to cover Forrest at some point. What are you thinking on that? So you've got Forrest, Sheffield United. We discussed it quite a bit on that first Friday night. And ironically, on the Tuesday night before we recorded last week, I was quite keen on Ilman and Dyer, 7.2 at Sheffield United. Then the news broke, oh, he's going to Marseille. The latest word is that deal is off and he may even be signing a new contract. So he might come right back to the table at 7.2. What I like about him versus Gibbs White, as an example, is Sheffield United's game one is much better than than Forest. Sheffield United have Palace at home, whereas Forest go to Arsenal. Um, and it also saves you a bit of money and you can potentially obviously move it on to something else as we discussed. But I, I had then since very much settled on Gibbs White in my mind. And now I'm not so sure I want to jump back. What's your thoughts, Luke, on that Friday night? Um, I, I think I'm on the side of Gibbs White, but I haven't quite gone that far yet of looking at what's that was the first person that come to mind. And when the season gets closer, I'll, I'll look at it. I would be open to, to other players. But I think the general message I was trying to get across there is the fact that your strikers are almost kind of set. I mean, Haaland's one of them, as we know. Maybe you want as much money as for Kane, or, or maybe you don't, but there's not too many options in that bracket, I would say. Defenders, I think there's there are lots of good options. However, there's ones that look a lot, are very, very good, and I think will probably get picked by the majority of the game. And there is just the most amount of options in midfield overall from the very yep. top bracket. There's a lot of good players from that little bracket just below. There's a lot of good players at the cheaper end. There's potentially I know, quite a few players. So I think um, it makes sense to try and, um, where you can pick an option other than the midfielder to leave that that space available to make your transfers to bring those players in that are good. You know, not not all the time. You still want the best, the very best options, like we said about Rashford. If you think he's the best option, yeah, he's going straight in. But in options like where Chelsea, you're like, mm, I'm not sure who to pick or whatever. You know, you kind of want to have that midfield option of picking Fernandez because he's probably going to be the best one. 
but also that's where the best enablers in the game are as well. Absolutely, we know yeah. that something, you know, Ibisuma, for example, seven point three, he's looking more and more like he's going to start regularly for Tottenham, and we suddenly become going to become a team that's going to be dominant on the ball. He's going to be in and around the tiers, and unlike your Romero's and your Poros, doesn't doesn't have to worry about how many goals are conceded at the other end. Um, so he, for example, might really stand up with seven point three. Exactly what you said. You suddenly you've gone Bissouma, Enzo Fernandez. You've now picked between say Gibbs White, Brennan Johnson, and a die, and you've got Rashford. There's only one left. Yeah, and you start That's to run it. out of spots. So you have to be very careful with which midfielder spots you've got available and who you use them on. So sometimes you have to, you know, you have to pick a second option or whatever in a, in a different position just to make it work. So, I'd also add that the defenders are so powerful that using enabler spots in defender positions is usually generally a pretty bad idea. I mean, yeah. sometimes it, an enabler ends up being top tier anyway, like a Saliba, right? They're, these are exceptions. You know, he, he's like... Colwell might be another one, right? Yeah, Colwell could be another one. That's why we're kind of coveting these guys. But in general, I don't think you really want to pick... If there's anywhere in your team you want to pick an enabler, it probably is in a cheaper midfield spot. It probably is going to get bonus, right? Rather than a defender spot where you could have someone like a Van Dijk who's probably going to outscore that enabler by 150 points plus. The midfield is not as clear. It could be closer. You know, yeah. Bomo could score... 10 goals in a season, but then someone like a Gilmore for Brighton could get passing every game and play it and get, you know, even beat him. So it's it's quite tough. So having discussed Liverpool, a little bit of a segue, I think for the majority of teams, and I'm going to leave Newcastle out of this for the moment because their start is so tough um, with the fixtures they've got. There's no real requirement for them until they play Brentford, which also is a Sunday in their fifth game. So that's like an obvious entry point to go and buy should you want to at that point. But from the others who will be challenging near the top, the so-called big six, it's quite clear in terms of the best assets. You can debate Salah, Trent, sure, but at Tottenham, it's Kane. We've identified at United, it's probably Rashford. Haaland is fairly obvious. We're kind of saying at the moment Enzo Fernandez is the safest way to go at Chelsea. There are alternatives. But the odd one out is Arsenal, which is why I wanted to speak to you about them, because where do you go here? You've got those three brilliant offensive midfielders in Martinelli, Odegaard, Saka, all very similarly priced, but it nicks the midfield spot. Mm. Ramsdale will be popular. Jesus might be a little pricey at 10 million, maybe, but it's easier to fit in than a midfielder. And obviously you've got the defensive guys like Saliba and Gabriel as well. Um, and there will be a requirement for Arsenal. We know that because the second Monday night came. What's, what's yeah. your thinking on Arsenal, Luke? And then throw in rice, I guess you could say as well. Yes, right? yes, I guess so. Yeah. Um, well, the reason we're even having this question is because it's tough to choose. And that's that's what I'm going to say. I think that, as we mentioned, I'd love to have Saka, you know, uh, Odegaard in my team. I don't know if I can fit them in. I'm going to have to make some sacrifices. I think that all of those players you mentioned are good options and any one of them could end up being the best quite comfortably. For my, The way I'm looking at going at the moment is probably to cover it defensively with either a Either a Zinchenko that looks quite interesting at 8.8. I think he's the cheapest of all the defenders. The passing bonus is... The problem with Zinchenko is the injury record, right? Again, I mentioned about using those transfers. If you're going to go for Zinchenko, you're opening yourself up to possibly having to use a transfer on him. I think just above it, is it 9 or 9.1 or something? Let me go back. And yeah, Saliba's 9, White 9.2, Gabriel 9.3. Yeah, I know Saliba was injured for a large part of last season, but it came from that one big injury, didn't it, more than anything? It yeah. doesn't mean it's going to happen that way again, but um, he was fairly yeah, consistent. Him and Gabriel were pretty neck and neck and, until the injury, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Saliba's actually got um, better passing stats than Gabriel. Like in FPL, yeah. there's no decision there. You pick Gabriel, his goal threat's huge. And yes, you get seven points for that goal, but I go back to that example with Porro and White. Saliba actually averages above, I think it's about six or seven passes on average above Gabriel, but Gabriel's at about 56 passes a game on average, whereas Saliba's more like 63, 64. So the bottom line is you... It doesn't always follow last season. Based on last season's data, Saliba should get passing bonus more often than Gabriel. Now, he's only got to get that two, three times to match the goal that Gabriel scores once every three, four weeks. As we discussed, he's not going to score a goal every once every three or four weeks, is he? He's probably going to score, what, five in the whole season if he has a really good season. So I think Saliba at nine is a good way to cover the Arsenal defence as well. The the curveball in that, in terms of what you said... um... Clayton, who's obviously regularly on the pod with me at the moment, beyond the transfer window show tomorrow, he thinks there's a good chance now they bought Timbal that mm. they'll invert from the right hand side rather than the left hand side. Mm. So last year they'd have done it where Saliba was obviously the centre of the three with White and Gabriel either side. It might mm. move where Gabriel becomes the central player. Mm-hmm. 
in that possibly um that might have a little bit of an impact and certainly would it certainly would impact Zinchenko's minutes I'd be I'd be more cautious of that Luke where they might flip it between left and right hand side and and how they do it this season but yeah unfortunately I think my takes the same as yours on an over, overall is it's probably a defensive one yeah it's, yeah we, it's the easiest we, way to do it absolutely and we do have to use that information and see what he's going to do because if Timber ends up playing in the inverted role and he's getting passes similar to 8.7 then he's even cheaper so yeah I just think one of those guys will probably end up being the being the, the easiest way to cover Arsenal not necessarily the best but the easiest you know Gabriel got 185 points last season Saka and all these guys did fantastically well, um, but they got sort of 207, 210. So within sort of 20 point range and then nearly a million more and they take up a midfield spot. So yeah, I think, I think there's a number of ways to cover Arsenal and we'll probably have to use the information. Rice is quite interesting. I wanted to throw Rice over to you. I think it might, even, is it part of a question or have I preempted a question? Uh, might have been, I might have missed, but go on, go for it anyway, mate. I'll shout out the person once I've seen it. So Rice being 8.1 million, um, substantially cheaper than than sort of Saka at 10.4 do you think he's an option in Sky because I think that's quite a hard one to gauge uh, my instincts at the moment is I'd definitely rather go Enzo over him for a little bit more uh, as a Chelsea coverage as well there's more alternative options at Arsenal I'm looking at what Rice scored at West Ham and wondering how big that has to jump because one of those midfielders are a little bit more is probably likely to get towards the 200 point again then again it's back to sort of the Alisson Trent argument how many points do I need Declan Rice to get? I'm not convinced it will be enough to justify it. And once again, you're nicking a midfield spot. And it just, I know what you're saying. And I, I completely agree with you. Like Rodri, Fernandez, Rice, put that in, fine. Tick over, great. But I'm definitely missing some explosiveness somewhere, right? If I put, as I said, you put Rashford as the other, that's it. It's either Enabler or Salah, basically. Yeah, my question and would it be... It feels well, wrong. Where, we don't know where Rice is. I mean, we're um, we're assuming Rice is going to play every game, right? I think that's what people think. Or probably, yeah, uh, yeah. What position? Relatively speaking, I think he'll take over from Party. I think with that, that I mean, Kai Havertz right. is another name to I guess to throw into the argument who's cheaper than the others as well. Um, I think he'll he'll largely take over from Party. I imagine perhaps some of the more difficult games, maybe they might play together, he might firm it up a little bit more than what he's done, or release Rice to play in that left eight role, if you will. Um, but I think primarily Havertz has been brought to do that. Party has been linked with a few other clubs. Um, he did have a, a difficult end to the season as well. And I think, in all yeah. honesty, Rice is an upgrade. And Rice will, subject to rotation, that a club like that with Champions League football will have. Yeah, sure. He's he's going to play minutes like Rodri. Put it, let's put it that way, would be my take, Luke. Okay. Well, I think if he does play that Partey role, Partey was actually one of the few Arsenal midfielders who hit passing bonus quite regularly and was above that 60 threshold. I think we can all agree that Rice is probably a better player than Partey. But we never would have considered Partey last year, interestingly. And I know the Arsenal players were cheaper, like Saliba, etc. But it was Mm -hmm. never at any point in the conversation to go there. No. I think he is one to watch, but I wouldn't start with him, put it that way, just to see whether he's consistently playing in that position and hitting those numbers. And then suddenly you've got another player, but we've just discussed it. It does take up that midfield and there's a lot of other options there as well. But he, he is potentially quite underpriced if he is hitting, if he becomes Rodri, he's underpriced, put it that way. Um, uh, he's got a long way to go to show that he can be Rodri. It, it was also a close asked about Rice. He asked about a few other players. So I'll, I'll drop him in while we're here now. Havertz, any interest? Absolutely zero. <laughs> Mason Mount uh, I would say close to zero on that as well Alexis McAllister that one's a lot more interesting a lot more interesting because uh, you would expect passing numbers right I know it's not quite going to be the same as Brighton it, it depends how high he plays isn't it it does it does but I think if he plays in the spot that I envisage him playing in May sort of more an 8-10 I guess and more, more an 8 that um he could help them tick over and get passing bonus, but uh, it's more to do with the price, I guess, and the fact that it's quite hard to, to work out where you're going to cover Liverpool. If you don't want to go Trent and can't afford it, and like we said, you don't want to take up that midfield spot for Salah because say you want Kent, um, Kane, sorry, but you still want to cover Liverpool, then McAllister does sort of rear his head as a potential option. But I think it's, it's not one that I would personally start with. I'd want to see what position he's playing and what tiers he's capable of getting. No, I would suspect that McAllister might actually score less points at Liverpool than he did at Brighton. If they if they box it in the same way, let's let's say for the minute Fabinho stays, Trent mm-hmm. comes in with Fabinho, you've got probably McAllister, maybe Sabosley or, or another 
in the at the tip of the box. I think he's too high then, Luke. You mm. you're increasing his his potential attacking output, but then look at the other great attacking players Liverpool have. So I think McAllister would be a no. The other one uh he was asking about was James Madison. It's perhaps a cheeky way to cover Tottenham off versus Sun and Kane. I mean, Madison's got a very good record in Sky in terms of generally when he plays across the seasons, he's been a really good option. Problem with Madison is he always seems to find a way to get injured and we don't know exactly how Spurs are going to get set up. He's a player where do like him, um, but tiers aside from shots, I don't think he's going to be getting anything else tier-wise. Sun so is you're... 0.4 more. Well, yeah, I'll take Sun. Yeah. I'll take Sun over him personally. I, I don't think yet. For Madison, I think maybe he could be because he's proven me wrong many times before and, and seemed to be an option. But I think if he's just a player who's not getting tears, we don't necessarily know where he's playing. I think he's often he's often been a really good option for us because Leicester have fallen with good single game days, and we've gone that's the one. And he's gone from differential to well owned, performed quite well, and we've all been quite happy with it. So I think it, it's one that sticks. And the match used to be a thing as well, right? And he would sort of eat that up for for a Leicester, but. Um, before we do a couple of questions, obviously we have had a bit of a change since we last recorded in terms of this Luton versus Burnley postponement, which does have an impact because we had the Luton West Ham uh, single game day on Friday the 1st of September. The beneficiaries, I guess, in our sky thinking now is West Ham United because a lot of us were thinking, well, can we move at similar price the Forest Sheffield United player to a, a Luton, a, a Colt Morris, for example? Now you can do that with some West Ham players, potentially, particularly as they play on the the Sunday the 20th against Chelsea. The difference with this one is you're missing the West Ham game against Bournemouth. So it almost feels like you should start with it rather than miss the Bournemouth game and then buy for Chelsea. It almost feels like you should you should start with it. Have you given much thought to, to West Ham assets, Luke? Yeah, like I said, I've done, I've done a draft, but I kind of wanted to wait a little bit and look, look when it got closer. But I think I'll probably start. I think in the situation here where and yeah, this is part of the game, the transfer management, covering those single fixtures in a position where we're all at zero and we have the opportunity to cover it and then we can move use a transfer later to get rid of it. You probably should take that opportunity to do so. That's the way I always look at it. You know, you can make an argument to say, okay, I'll wait, see who's an option, buy one for that week. But I think just the way the fixtures work, normally I don't want to use a transfer on a single game day unless I'm going to keep them for a sustained period or there's an obvious hop-off or, or et cetera. And the fixtures are such a mixed bag. I, I found it tough. This is why I need to look different and you're the main man for that. So maybe I'm wrong on that. But personally, I think starting probably makes sense. Um, as a result, for me, for West Ham, there aren't there aren't many options that absolutely mm. scream out at you. I think the only two, I mean, I've got two in my mind that I'd be happy to have. Why don't you say what you if, what ones you've been thinking of? I see they're the same people. Um, well, I, I, Jared Bowen is certainly one uh, at eight point eight, but it's more expensive than the others. I'm pretty sure that Suj would recommend Ben Rama at seven point nine as potential penalty taker as well. Some of the defensive ones are quite cheap, but you've got no passing come with that. The goalkeeper situation is not clear at this moment in time. Fabianski's played their first two games on tour. Ariola's not travelled out there. I think he's just been given more time off. Um, so Ariola at 6.6 would maybe be quite interesting, but that's I'm not something, sure that's something I'd want to keep long-term. So I'm, that that's definitely almost booking a goalkeeper transfer in. The problem with Bowen Benrahma is exactly what we've been discussing. It's the midfield problems. From the forwards between Ings, Schumacher and Antonio... I mean, I saw uh, Mbamo who scored against Tottenham in the, in the friendly on Tuesday, 6.5. He might be the one, Luke. No, don't do that. <laughs> I think you mentioned the names that I'm interested in. Um, I didn't have Bowen particularly on my list because I just thought it's too much. To, I think he's the best option of West Ham, but I think he's too expensive and I wouldn't want to structure around it particularly. Um, you know, if you've got him and then you think, oh, I know kind of in my mind who I'm going to move to around that price and I think it's fine. I think 7.9 for Ben Rama is is pretty good. I think that's a pretty good cheap price. And when we're covering that captain's armband, when we look at the West Ham team, they're not a team that get tears. They're not a team you can particularly rely on for a, a sky pick. So you are kind of relying on getting that that goal. And obviously, if you take penalties, you've always got a chance of getting them. So I think he is a good one. And the other option is the goalkeeper. I don't. I think um, Fabianski, you know, if he's going to play or whatever, that's uh, well, either one of them. They're so cheap, both of them, whoever it ends up being. And let's assume they actually stay in goal. Um, that's just a good price for a goalkeeper from a from a fairly well. I was going to say top side there. That's a bit 
the fixture's rough, right? I mean, yeah. you've got Bournemouth, Luton, the two away games, which sure on paper look great, Bournemouth, Luton, but they are away. You've got Chelsea at home, City at home, Brighton away, Liverpool away. That's their first six. So yeah. you can, you, this is one where you can drill too much in and go, oh, the captaincy. And of course, you can cut it off straight after the Luton game and then you're missing the Man City and Liverpool afterwards. That's part of the point. Maybe you are looking to to cut it off. Interestingly, Ben Rama, the first thing I thought was, He's exactly the same price as Gibbs White. Exactly, yeah. That's the one so he looks at. You could go, obviously, the Gibbs White Arsenal captaincy, Sheffield United, stick it in for, for Ben Rama, obviously, when West Ham played Chelsea on the, the Sunday, carry that through. And actually, you could jump it back because Forest, obviously, have got later single game days against Burnley and, and Brentford in late September and October. So you'd carry Ben Rama, you'd carry him through to the Man City game, maybe. Or you come off one earlier, depending on how you feel. Gibbs White's got Chelsea, Ben Rama's got City. I mean, in, in that case, that's probably one where I'd, I'd wait the week more to make sure my choice is still fit, etc. Probably, um, but yeah, that's gone through my mind that you can even between those two players, same amount of value, you cover off a significant amount of single game days at the same yeah. price point and the same position. Yeah, and it's too. You wouldn't want to have a West Ham and a Forest player in your team. I would suggest for probably for not. But it, period time. I can't help but look at West Ham going to Bournemouth game one and think if I'm having one, I should start with it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think having that that spot at the moment kind of makes sense to me. It's it's not um, like I wouldn't choose it. Like you just said, that there's some really tough games in amongst it. Doesn't fall perfectly by any means. But I think using Gibbs White and um, Ben Rama on that spot is probably the way I'm looking at it at the moment. And I mentioned about this transfer usage. Yeah, we don't really want to spend our transfers on these cheap midfielders switching them out, but when it's going to cover the games and the captaincies, you can kind of make an exception for it. And I think that's probably the route I'd go at the moment, unless things we're a long way away, right? People can sign someone or whatever. I think Henderson maybe could come in goal for Forest as well, offer another option people will be looking at. But um that's yep, probably the other thing obviously you could do with it is you, you think, oh, I need to go Forest to West Ham or Sheffield United to West Ham as an example, if you're perhaps going in and die instead. You could obviously start with a two. Start with say Gibbs White and Ben Rama, and go no Chelsea at the start, and give yourself that one extra game with the Chelsea Liverpool game. Leave the money in the bank, and take your pick between sort of an Enzo Fernandez or one of the centre backs. Yeah, I think that's is a, di- a, a different way of maybe doing it, but it does feel like those that that's the first Sky transfer, isn't it? Probably. Yeah, quite quite probably, yeah. Um, but that you just touched on it there. Actually, there's a, there's another thing you can also factor in. I know I said you can plan, and you probably you definitely should plan for this scenario because it's right at the beginning. I think the chances of us getting all eleven players exactly right, avoiding all red cards, avoiding all injuries in the first few weeks alone, is actually pretty slim. So you don't necessarily have to make that decision. You could pick your team. Um, not necessarily. I know the, the timing of the games here is quite soon, but as a general rule, I guess rather than just it, you could kind of make your decision later because whoever that player is, you've picked that's gone wrong or has got injured or has got red carded, that could then be the. You know, the player you sacrifice in order to make that transfer rather than having to make two transfers. You know, something will go wrong at some point in your team where you can look at it. I think Paul's very good at that as well, by the way. He has a, pl- a plan in his mind, the guy who won it last year, of what he's going to do. But at the same time, if any player gets injured or whatever else, he's kind of got that as the, the backup and probably the go-to rather than sacrifice a good player to make it work. With that in mind, um, before we finish up, and it was three and a half weeks till the start, so I've certainly not done this yet, when you're heading into that final week, will you have a plan of transfers up to a certain period or are you winging it at the start because you almost know that shit will be wrong and stuff will change? No, I'll definitely look at it like I always do for sort of the first eight, nine weeks or something, put put down in my mind, which will be my perfect tactical transfers. And there might not be very many at the start. We know we don't necessarily get two for you know, three for one games or whatever else it might be. You know, it's quite, it's quite rare that using a transfer for just sort of one game or two games is actually end up going to be worth it. But I'll certainly give it a go, plan out over sort of eight, nine weeks where I'm going to use my transfers. And then you just have to have that, like I said, that flexible team and that that option open to you that when something does inevitably go wrong, you've got to tweak it. And that's really the sky in the the, the skill in sky is um is just managing those transfers. Like I say, definitely have a plan, but then adjust as it goes along. And that's pretty much what we do the whole season. <laughs> Uh, just a quick summary of a question we had in from FPL Dino, and I, I don't think there's a right or wrong in this, and quite often the answer lies within it depends on the fixtures and the TV announcements. But halfway, say you're going into halfway of the season, how many ideally in your mind do you think I want X amount of transfers left at halfway from your 50? Well, I think 
I think I'm probably having a little bit more than than half is probably better. You probably want to use more towards the back end just because of the way the fixtures work. I think if this season ends up being more normal than the others, it shouldn't be as impactive. Um, but you're going to have more fixtures in the second half of the season than the first half, right? That's a general thing that you'll have in Premier League. So it's not an even split. So it shouldn't be an even split with your transfers, really. You should save a little bit more than half. I think as long as you can do that, um, you've done pretty well. On on that Luton-Burnley rearrangement, by the way, which I guess if there's every chance there's going to be a single game day that pops up in people's minds, that could, of course, become a very classic, yeah, thank you very much, I'll, I'll skip that. I don't think it's going to be soon. I, I think probably December is probably the most likely month at the moment, so I don't think it's something we have to worry about too much. Um, I finished with this one, though, Luke, uh, from Addy Taurus. Is, uh, we've seen the Man City lineup first. Would you be confident to put quite a few in your team? Is there any chance of that? We see the City eleven, and we go, actually, I want to go blanket defensive, for example. Um, that's so individualistic, I guess. Yeah. In terms of when he says, would you be confident putting the team? I just think... I, that... I guess it's in terms of future rotation. I, we see the first team, yeah. but we don't see the future weeks, do we? No, but I think um, if people were to go back and look at how Pep starts season in general when there isn't too many other competitions, he is generally quite true to the players that that are ready and available. That's all of that. It's, it's not necessarily the the first team and the best team that will start right at the beginning. He'll he'll use those same players in sort of weeks one, two, three, four, five, and sort of integrate the players that are behind. I don't really have any reason to think that many players will be behind because we haven't had any international tournaments, have we, that could impact their players necessarily? Or have I totally got that wrong? I can't think. Uh, no, I think it's it's subject to certain clubs doing it a bit differently. Like I said, West Ham look like probably because they're Conference League win as well, look like they've given a, a few players a, a little bit more time off as well, who then went on international duty as well. But I mean, you know, Tottenham got everyone back in the squad, basically was on international duty. So mm. yeah, there shouldn't be a, a concern there from that perspective. No, unless Grealish is still pissed. But I would, say, <laughs> <laughs> I would say you still want to pick the players that you know are likely to play the most amount of games for Man City. And, and I know people say, well, that's nearly impossible. But I still think, the, you know, Rodri, Diaz, Haaland, um, Edison. These are players that are going to play. You know, if they're available and they're fit, then they will be playing. So, does I, John Stones fall into that group? I think I think he does as well. Yeah, I think he does. Certainly at the beginning, because he's more managed, as we saw towards the back end, which was always my concern with him around his injuries and keeping him fresh. But I think Stones. Well, is well I, I've read that, 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 that maybe it's a myth. I don't know. And I know you obviously you study City and a, an expert in terms of looking at what they may or may not do under Guardiola. But I have read a, a little bit of a thought process that. Guardiola does kind of take it easy on Stones in the first half of the season to make sure he's in peak condition for the second half. Do you buy that nonsense. into that at all? Absolute nonsense. All right, it, I tell him you said that. I didn't say that. <laughs> no one <laughs> so says when Luke's wrong, come for him. <laughs> no one says I'm going to take it easy in the first half to, so he can be strong in the set. Like, who the hell plans that? Like, you get your players um, in the peak condition. I don't know, but then the when game. you think about it logically, they always come on so strong at the end, don't they? If yeah, they're chasing, he, he doesn't hold someone back to do that. He, if you could say to him, "Okay, we'll get thirty points ahead and have a brilliant first half, and then just completely relax in the second half," which is what they ended up doing this season, to be honest, because they they won it, then you take that as well. I don't I don't buy into that at all. He tried to get the player ready, the best players ready, was play the games, get the most points on the board. There's no there's no four D chess going on here with Stones. It's just Stones is a player that struggles a lot with injuries. It's no more deep than that for me. Um, you know, he's got better at it. So, yeah, I think Stones is a perfectly viable option. I wouldn't go, say, banging in players that are, are as far as we know, slightly more risky in that Burnley game just because they start that game. They could quite easily go on and play game week two, game week three, game week four. But are they any better, as we discussed right at the start, of the players that are going to turn up every week and are going to be looking for probably, probably not. You know, how how often is it that you've looked at the Man City um, points list at the end of the season and gone, oh, I've made a right balls up here? It's basically always Rodri near the top. The Bruyne can be, depending on injury. Obviously, Haaland now, but they previously didn't have a striker. And then Diaz, depending on injury, is there. Everyone else is usually nowhere to be seen. If you had to start with a City defender? Oh, it'd be, it would be Diaz, personally, for me. Because you pay the extra over Stones, yeah? 100%. I think Diaz will be very near the, one of the highest scorers in the game again this season. All right. It's a good price. 9.7, John Stones 9.2. I think they're both... I mean, they could be breakers as well, couldn't they? Where one of them or even both of them end up in nearly everyone's teams. Could be, could be at some point. Yeah, I don't think because of the way the the game is and the price this year, we said it's very hard to to spend your money all over the place. Once you've covered all those different options from the team that you need for captains, you need for single days. 
Um, you know, if it was up to me and I had the money, I'd fill the rest with Man City spots potentially from defence just to clear up on that passing bonus and whatever. But you just don't have the budget for it. Certainly not at this point. Maybe later in the season when you don't need to cover all these other teams, then you start filling in with Diaz and Stones and, and other people. But um, I, I think Diaz or Stones is a great option from the start, though, 100%. Luke, pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Suji's expert opinion will return next week on the Sky Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, Luke, got anything you want to plug? I know you have, so please do it. Um, yeah, I do a I do an FPL pod uh, called Inspected Goals. So you can find us on Twitter at Inspected Goals. That's with an I at the start. Um, and uh, we do a YouTube uh, as well, which I don't even know what my handle is. But if you type Inspected Goals FPL in, it will probably pop up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at all these sort of things. New, new, new sign in as well, mate. He pulled one out of the bag there, didn't Oh, you? yeah. We've got Ben Krellin on board, which... Uh, um, put it this way, it pays to get really, really drunk in a pub and chat people up sometimes. <laughs> right. Okay. Shout out, Ben, if you're listening. Oh, no, ben dabbles in a bit of Sky as well, doesn't he? Uh, good he stuff. Does. That's that's How, how often is he going to come on? Is, is that a regular uh, every week he's on the show now? Or? No, no, no. We're all going to rotate. We try to keep it to two people that's... if we can. And then, um, yeah, it's just going to be me, Sam, uh, Seb as well, who's come on from Scout and Ben Krellin. So between us, we're all kind of divvy up. We're all busy people with busy lives apart from Sam. So he he might be be on it more often, but all the rest of us do real work. So nice. Very best of luck for the season. No doubt we'll speak and drink soon. Maybe not with Ben Krellin, but of what you just said. Um, <laughs> brilliant. Mine, baby. <laughs> uh, as said earlier, Clayton will be back with me for the transfer window show tomorrow. I'll be streaming on Friday as ever. If you want to support the show, www.patreon.com forward slash planet FPL. Just leave me to say thank you again so much to Luke. Cue music, please, man child. The Fantasy Football Show. Sports Social Podcast Network.